0: Vent for a moment to start with. Uh, I, I hate to lose things. I, I mean, it can be anything. Just misplacing my reading glass at home just will drive me crazy. How many of you hate to lose things? You're like, you lose your license or you lose your credit card, or just you, you obsess on it. You can't get it off your mind. If it's one thing, if I could get a little more volume, if I could, if it's one thing that I hate even more than losing things, it's to buy something and you've done all your research, you've looked online, you've probably spent more hours than you should. You think you have found the very best price. You purchase the thing. You own the thing. It's there. And then you find some ad where it says, this can be had for half price. <laughs> I hate it. I hate to lose things. I hate to overpay for things. If there's one thing I hate more than those two things, it's the parlay of the two of them. That is that I spend more than I should to buy something and then I lose it on <laughs> top of it all. I bet you some of you have had this experience, like you, you, were, you were really in a bad time in your life, you know, and you, you scrapped, scrapped together all your money. Maybe you had to take out a little loan to get some kind of a junker car. It was a junker car, you knew it, but it was all you could afford at the time. So you make your little payments and everything, and then about three months into owning your little junker car, the motor dies and you don't have any money, but you still have to make the payments i'm just curious anybody ever had that you got to make the payments but it's not yeah okay you know what the, fa- the pain feels like then <laughs> so when we lose something and when we pay too much for something uh, if it's inconsequential we usually get over it but sometimes depending on what it is we get into a place in life where where we say ah, it's gone it's never going to be and I can't believe that it's gone now there's a there's a little symbol to me saying that I forgot to announce something should I stop my message and announce it now go go ahead thank you thank you for permission for that I'm going to be running if I could get that I'm going to be running a bible institute on September the 20th at 6 30 p.m. And it's something that, that I picked up at about the second year of my Christian life that I think if you'll put the time in, it might become a key for you so that when you read the Word of God, you will be able to engage with God. There's a difference. How many of you know there's a difference between reading the Bible and engaging with God through the Bible? How many, how many know there's a big difference? One will transform your life. The other one is just an academic exercise. So anyway, September of the 20th, Tuesday night it'll be just a one evening Bible Institute so if you can possibly make it love to have you there now let me go back to where I was at so if I could go to the next slide so spiritual dejection is the name of this series And we're going to start out today with I can't believe it's gone. Sometimes we have experiences in life where we lose something, and it might even be something that we paid way too much to gain, and we might keep on paying for it, even after it's not important, but we just keep on paying for it. And it's really important. It's not just lost reading glasses or even a driver's license or a credit card. Maybe it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, and you knew that it was and you had it but somehow you lost it and maybe after you lost it you you tried to get over it but here you are maybe years later and you're still not quite over your mind still drifts back and you think what could have been spiritual dejection here's a little formula perceived value equals degree of dejection in other words It's not the accurate value. It's whatever perception I have on the value of something that I lose. If it's important to me, if I think it's important, then that's the degree of spiritual dejection that I'm going to experience. And you might be thinking, well, what do you mean by dejection? That's kind of a weird word. Uh, To be dejected, it means to be dispirited, it means to be discouraged, it it means to be jolted. It's that sick feeling we get sometimes where something is gone. And we know in our gut it's maybe never going to be again. But sometimes we can't let it go. And sometimes we, we keep on pursuing what's never going to be. Now I'm going to just drift just for a moment. There's a part of this message today that's going to be valuable to I hope at least someone in here and it's kind of a side component of this message. Some of you in here, you're real followers of Christ. You have put your trust in Christ and all you wanna do is follow him fully, freely and forever. He has won your trust. You wanna be everything that he wants you to be. You wanna do everything that he wants you to do but as you are in this developmental journey where you're becoming or seeking to become more like Christ, you find you are stuck. There's somewhere in your life that you want to do the will of God But there's something else in you that keeps you from doing the will of God. And it's it's like this magnetic force that keeps dragging you back to what you no longer want to do. And some of you today might just find a secret insight, a key that might unlock the door, the cell door, to let you out of that experience. Okay, that's just an aside. Now, I'm going to introduce you to a, a man. And when we meet him, he's only 30 years old and we're gonna watch uh, very quickly about 40 years of his life and we're gonna see him go through this experience where he has to come to grips with I can't believe that it's gone he's given the opportunity of a lifetime it's in his hands but he loses it and it's never gonna be regained now here's the thing He ends up paying way too much for trying to regain what he couldn't pay enough for to regain. You see, all that he needed to keep what was given to him was to be faithful to God, but he he didn't pay that price, if you can call that a price. I mean, being faithful to God is just for our own highest well-being and happiness. But, But then he tries to hang on to the experience, and he ends up... He ends up spending 25 years of his life stuck, stuck, still trying to hang on to something that was not going to be, something that was actually gone, but he still wanted to hang on to any fragment of it that he could, and he was paying an enormous price. It was literally taking his character and dismantling it piece by piece. Every little shred of peace that he ever had in his life, it was being taken away from him every bit of clarity that he ever had every bit of self-control that he ever had it was slowly being lost but he just kept pursuing whatever it was, that was lost. some of you you know exactly what what I'm talking about there's something right now it's in your mind that you can't let go of let me rephrase that you won't let go of because you feel that if you let go of it it's meant something so important to you it brought something into your life so significant it altered your mood so significantly it made you feel things you never felt before it gave you things that you never had before and you just can't let it go you keep relentlessly pursuing it but it's gone and it's never going to be and it's slowly but surely dismantling the very fiber of your personhood and it's ruining your life, it's not, it's not blessing your life. And that's what we're gonna see with this particular young man. The young man's name is Saul, he, he's the first king of Israel. Let me give you a little background because the storyline, it really picks up from 1 Samuel chapter 8, it goes all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 31 and we all know I don't have time for that. So <laughs> when you come to the storyline, Israel for 350 years has functioned without a king. They were something called a theocracy, God was their king but they started becoming embarrassed that they didn't have a king to lead them, particularly into the wars of the day, uh, a physical leader, they were embarrassed. And so they go to Samuel the prophet and they say, look, we're tired of being different than the other nations. We want somebody that can stand up for us, somebody that the rest of the nations can see. We have credibility and they demand a king The Lord says to Samuel, because Samuel's brokenhearted, he knows this isn't the will of God. It was the will of God that God would be their king. But the Lord says to Samuel, he says, listen, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. Just go ahead, give them what they want. Give them a king, as it were, after their own heart. They wanted a big, bad, physically impressive king to be intimidating. They thought that's the way things work best in the nations of the world. Now, when you come to 1 Samuel 8 and and this, prophet samuel he's sent on this journey to find this this king god's leading him and he meets young saul now young saul is an interesting guy when he first meets samuel he can't believe that samuel the prophet is coming to talk to him and samuel the prophet is coming to talk to him because he's saying you're the guy that god wants to lead the people of israel and he says are you kidding me he, he says I'm, I'm from the tribe of benjamin we're, we're the least of the tribes of israel they had 12 tribes kind of like our states and he says, and besides that, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm the least in my clan. Saul says, what are you doing, man? He says, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. I'm a face in the crowd. This is, this is a, a mistake. God can't possibly be calling me. The first thing we see in young Saul, he's a very insecure young man, and he's got some real issues with his personal worth. He he can't even picture what God can do with his life. Nevertheless, the scripture goes on to say something about him that's a bit odd. It says that he was a very handsome man, the most handsome man in Israel, and that he was shoulders and a head taller than everybody else in Israel. That has never been an issue with me, never at all. I'm I'm head and shoulders shorter than almost every Israelite and every human being, every nine-year-old for that matter. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that literally says that about him remember god's going to give the israelites a man after their own heart they wanted a big intimidating guy somebody physically that would intimidate and be impressive so later on god says now i want a king after my heart and we'll see about that so saul starts out very humble in fact after Samuel anoints him and they're going to have this big day, kind of his public inauguration, as it were, he literally hides. He's so shy. He's so timid. He has no self-confidence and he hides and they literally have to drag him out. Here's the guy here. He's hiding right here in the baggage, it says in Scripture. And they bring him out and they make him their king. Now, it says that a lot of the people, they look at him and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's, it, that's it, this works. This is okay. You'll be their king. But it says that some of the people... They must have known him. They're like, we know this guy. He's a big goof. He's never been able to do anything. And they treat him as such, and he struggles. He struggles with what people think of him. Some of us in here, we are approval addicts. We, we can't live very long without being sure that certain people, if not all people, approve of us, like us, feel good about us that that's problematic because here's the thing if you you or are addicted to the approval of others we're not going to be very useful to god we're certainly not going to be able to model things that god wants us to we're not going to be able to lead we're not going to be able to speak to things that god wants us to you have to be able to live with the approval of god we sang that song Jaira. you are enough you have to be able to live that way and be in a Addicted to the approval of others is a problem. There's indications that Saul, once he tasted for the first time in his life, once he tasted approval, once he tasted prestige, once he tasted power, once he tasted privilege, once he was suddenly just given all these possessions, the king would have had the best of possessions. The king would have been the most powerful, the most prominent. The king would have been the most recognized. All at once, this nobody, he's somebody. Now, some of us, we stumbled. We didn't intend it. We just stumbled onto some kind of an experience in life. And that experience, for the first time, made us feel something. It it altered our mood. It may have made us feel liked. It may, may have made us feel loved. For the first time It it may may have made us feel powerful Or or skillful But we experienced something We stumbled onto it We weren't even looking for it necessarily But once we experienced it Something turned on inside of us And we didn't understand it But we were literally becoming addicted To the feeling To the mood alteration And what brought the mood alteration And it started changing the trajectory Of our lives in the, the very formation of the character of our souls and because of that some of us are still stuck with doing things we don't know why we're doing because we don't want to do them anymore but we're still doing them because we we've stumbled onto something that changed the way we feel feel about ourselves or perceived ourselves or something like that well anyway Saul starts out okay but within two years he starts to fumble the ball. He, he's, he's involved in a situation where God wants him to go to battle but he says he wait there for seven days until Samuel the prophet comes, offers the appropriate sacrifices and rituals and so forth. Saul's men get antsy, they start abandoning him as they're waiting, it's the seventh day but Saul is so afraid that his men are going to abandon him and he's so insecure, he goes and offers the sacrifice himself, I guess he forgot to check his phone, Samuel had been texting him saying he was on the way. Samuel literally when you read it he literally arrives as the man had lit the sacrifice and Samuel says what are you doing this is not what you are called to do you're misrepresenting the plans and purposes and activities of God he says man you've just put your kingdom in jeopardy because of this and so we, we see within just two years he's on shaky ground next episode that happens about 13 years later there's a situation where once again he's commanded by God to carry out a very serious war maneuver he he is to literally exterminate the Amalekites they've been enemies of God's people for over 400 years there's there's some indication there might have been Nephilim bloodlines in there a lot, lot of complicated things but anyway he's supposed to just carry out the mission it's God's mission God says they're his enemies and he doesn't do it. He, he does it, but he doesn't do it. He, he, he does it, but he doesn't do it completely. He leaves their king because that was kind of a trophy in those days. You conquer a nation and you keep their king, you know, eating crumbs under your table or whatever, just to show how big and bad you are. And he keeps the prized cattle and sheep because he, he wants to give something to his men to his soldiers they're asking him for stuff they want stuff and he knows he's not supposed to do it he knows God said get rid of everything have nothing to do with the Amalekites but nevertheless he passes on the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle to his men and God then says to him 15 years into his reign as king he says to Samuel the prophet first he says I'm done with this guy I'm done. Can't work with him. He can no longer be king. Fifteen years into it, he loses his position as a king. And that's where that spiritual dejection comes in. I can't believe that it's gone haunts him for the next 25 years of his life he won't let it go he keeps chasing it he becomes relentless in pursuit of it to try to regain it to hold on to any fragment that he can it turns him into a schemer it turns him into a liar it turns him into a, a very impulsive violent man a murderer along the way all these things but he won't let it go now let me take you to the text I've kind of given you a quick scan 1st Samuel 15 This is after he did not carry out the full ministry that God gave him with the Amalekites. Samuel says to him, he says, rebelling against God or disobeying him because you're proud is just as bad as worshiping idols or asking them for advice. You refuse to do what God told you, so God has decided you can no longer be king. Bang, I can't believe it's gone let me go back this timid shy insecure individual very little self-esteem indicators are he had felt for 15 years what it was like to be popular to be prominent to have privileges that nobody else had to have possessions that nobody else had he felt something he experienced something and it became so valuable to him that he was not going to let it go let me go on with the text then Saul said to Samuel I have sinned I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. Why, Saul? Why did you sin? I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. He thought that they would be very disappointed, his men. He wanted to please them. He needed their approval if he didn't give them the best of the cattle and the sheep. But Samuel said to him, you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. It goes on. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Samuel was heartbroken because of Saul's failure to trust God and do what he said. How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider what? first king the people got a king after their own heart they wanted an intimidatingly impressive king this king God's going to pick on a different basis the Lord does not look at the things people look at people look at the what outward Outward appearance but the Lord looks at what The the heart let's go on So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on, follow this carefully, from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon who? David, David, second king of Israel. More written in the Bible about David than anyone except for Jesus himself. From that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from who? Saul. He didn't just lose his king. He he lost the activity of the spirit of God in his heart Now here's the thing about Saul When you really look at his life carefully Saul unlike David There is no indication that Saul had any interest in God whatsoever He, He was a secularized man from all that we can see God picks him because he knew what was in the people's heart But even though God starts interacting with Saul, giving him supernatural experiences, activity of the Holy Spirit, overtly supernatural, Saul never seems to really trust God. He never seems to really care much about God. We all know people like that. They're not the worst people in the world. They might be a good neighbor, but all things considered, eh, when it comes to God, they're just, eh, you know, if I float your boat, if that's what you need, eh, it's okay, but it's not for me. Saul seems to be one of those guys. And it, nothing could change that. Now, I want to turn the corner and we're going to start to try to personalize this message. Let's ask a question Why does this matter so much? I, I, I mean, why did it matter so much to Saul that for the next 25 years of his life, he rejects God's rejection of him? Even though God said, you're no longer the king and the spirit of God leaves him, he refuses to leave his role as the king. For 25 years, he claws and scratches and kills to keep his hands on power. Why did it matter so much to him? Why do we sometimes something that we didn't want at one point in our life, then something happens and we experience it, we taste it, then we not only want it, we cannot let it go. We we must have it at all costs, even when we know it's wrecking our life, destroying our character, leading us into one bad situation after another, but but, but we can't let it go. Why does it matter so much? Why did it matter so much to Saul? Why does it matter so much? Saul knew he was fighting against God he tries to kill once he finds out that David is God's choice he spends five years trying to track David down and kill him now now think about this he knows God's rejected him and he knows that God's picked David but he's trying to kill the man why? why did having that position of power why did it mean so much to him? well I've hinted at it already in the introduction I believe that it was the first experience in Saul's life. Now, some of you got to really listen carefully about what I'm saying here now. It was the first experience in Saul's life that he ever felt like somebody. Some of us, we probably would have to do a little tracking. We'd have to get along with God. We'd have to start allowing the Spirit of God to stir our memories up. But if some of us look back, we could probably find some incidents that occurred and maybe it was like I said earlier the first time we ever felt like we were attractive to someone else or the first time we ever felt wanted or the first time we ever felt like somebody respected us or desired us or esteemed us in some way and and it changed something inside we we never felt anything like it in our I'm gonna just be very honest I didn't even plan this it just shot through my head hope it's of the spirit of God I'm going to tell you something about myself that is a bit embarrassing but unfortunately true I, I grew up in a very difficult environment uh, didn't know who my father was my mother was an alcoholic I was bounced back and forth between my mother and my grandparents they were, each one would take me for a while then throw me out and I'd run to one and back and forth back and forth I was one of these kids. I didn't understand the word love. I never was told I was love. I didn't know what the feeling was even like. I'm not exaggerating this. I was 13 years old, living with my grandmother at the time. A little girl in my grandmother's neighborhood named Jennifer Pitts can see her face to this day in my mind. I'm old now. I can still see her face. She liked me. Well, I didn't even know what that meant. But I mean she liked me, like me, you know, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm telling you, everything in my mind, in my my whole soul just exploded. It was the first time I had ever felt love in my life. I was utterly, completely addicted. And I can tell you, it led me on many a bad journey, many a bad journey. I, I didn't ever feel whole unless I, I, I had the affection of some sort of, of a female in my life. Some of you, you're listening to me and you know exactly what I mean. You can look at your life and it's one endless roller coaster ride because you desperately need to feel, whether it's real or not, the, the affection, admiration of somebody of the opposite sex. And, and, and it can just completely drive the course of our lives. Saul experienced something he had never experienced before and he was like, man, I'm never letting this feeling go. Here's what happened to Saul and here's what can happen to us. And this is why some of us are stuck in sin patterns, as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, that we cannot break. Here's the problem. Saul confused divine entrustment with personal entitlement leave a slide up for a moment if we can God had entrusted him he said okay I know what the Israelites want and you're the kind of guy you're not really the guy that I want but I'm going to give them what they want so I'm entrusting you he was entrusted the highest level of leadership that could be given he was to lead the people in the truth of God he was to model for them he was to lead the nation so that the nation would be a model for the rest of the nations and the whole world would see that's what God is really like because look at how those Israelites live and look at how their king is living and modeling for them it was a divine entrustment it was a gift given to him he didn't earn it it was an entrustment so when you're given an entrustment what God expects what is reasonable is that we would simply be faithful Saul I'm going to make you king I'm going to expect you to trust me and do what I ask you to do that's the way an entrustment works we are entrusted with some time, we're entrusted with some talents, we're entrusted with some intelligence, we're entrusted with some finances, we're entrusted with breath and life for a 24 hour period. Sometimes, you know, we can get interrupted. And God is going to ultimately, and I don't mean to say this to scare anybody because it's both a good message and a, and a word of warning. He's gonna expect us to account for how we have handled our entrustment. He, in other words, he's gonna say, what did you do with the life, the gift of life, that I gave you okay he got it confused instead of in a divine entrustment he saw it as a personal entitlement he got flushed with this feeling of exhilaration he had never felt anything like it before I am somebody and people they perk up when I walk into the room and my words mean something and I'm admired and I'm liked and and I have prestige and influence he got this rush and he was like I'm not letting this ever go i didn't even know what it was like to feel this way i didn't know it was possible to feel this way and it's like this is mine this is mine i'll never let anyone i won't even let god take this feeling away from me this feeling listen what i'm saying this feeling i won't let even god take this feeling away and i'll do whatever i have to do even when i know it's wrong again and again and again to keep this feeling because I'm, I'm addicted to this feeling now, now we don't think it through that clearly but some of you you really need to hear this you know what I'm saying is true you know it's the spirit of God saying it to you you know it's God trying to say come on I'm trying I'm trying to bring healing to your life I'm trying to open a cell door that you haven't figured out how to get out of for years sometimes decades and he's saying come on we confuse a divine entrustment with a personal entitlement, and every time that happens, we start becoming worshipers. Let, let, me, let me take you to a scripture, show you what I'm talking about, Romans chapter one. It says, yes, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't do what? Work. Work. Notice, they wouldn't, they knew he was there. The scripture is very clear. Every human being knows God is there. When you meet people and say, oh, I don't know if God is there, I'm an agnostic or I'm an atheist, he's not there. They're saying things that are absolutely untrue. The God that sees inside says, we know he's there. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't. It wasn't that they couldn't. It wasn't that they didn't understand. It. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They begin to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. Randy, where are you going with this worshiping idols and stuff? Because when I, you, we mistake a divine entrustment with a personal entitlement, we start to worship whatever it is. Saul worshiped his power he worshipped his prestige he worshipped his possessions he worshipped his privileges he wasn't going to let anyone not even God take it anymore you say well, well what do you mean worshipping it Randy he was not like bowing down to those things listen worship is anything that I start to orient my life around I'm going to I'm going to talk about this more in a second point I don't want to elaborate on it too much now but he started whenever you or I mistake a divine gift, a divine entrustment with a personal possession, I start to worship that personal possession, which means I'm going to just utterly devote myself to it and I'll fight for it if necessary, even when it's to my undoing. Let's go on. First John 2 warns us about the same thing. It says don't don't love the world or anything that belongs to the world. If you love the world, you cannot love the Father. Our foolish pride comes from this world And so do our selfish desires And our desire to have everything we see None of this comes from the Father Here again it's the warning You get too attached to the, the gifts The entrustments that God gives You forget the giver And you get completely addicted to the gift Even to fighting with the giver it goes on, it says this finally in 17. The world and its desires, the world, the world and the desires it causes are disappearing. But if we obey God, we will live forever. Now, I want to give you a little diagram to show you what happened with Saul. And what happens with us when we confuse a divine entrustment with a personal entitlement deceptive and deficient objects of worship is what this list is there are certain things we start to knowingly and unknowingly worship but they're deficient they're they're defective They, they won't lead to our good they won't lead to our development they won't lead to any good ends sometimes we worship people some of you right in this room you're codependent you can't live without another human being you don't know even who you are or how to live without another human being even though that human being might be destroying you and themselves that's the truth about you some of us, it's popularity. We're, we're approval addicts. We've got to have everybody like us, approve of us all the time. Some of it's power, man. We, we, want, we want people to perk up when we walk in the room. We want to have influence. We want to have say-so. We want to be able to, to change people's lives. Whatever. Some of us, it's prestige. We want to be famous. <laughs> we want to have lots of likes. Some of us, is privileges. You know, I, I can go places and nobody else can. You know, I can do things and nobody else does. Some of us, is possessions, man. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. It never ends. It just goes on and on and on. Some of us, is pleasures. We're addicted to certain pleasures. And we'll fight God right in his face if he starts to say some of these pleasures, pleasures are destructive. And not our good. We say, "No, that's not going to happen." This is this is mine. It's not an entrustment. It's an entitlement. So, when we misunderstand a divine entrustment and we turn it into a personal entitlement, we start to worship it. And when we do, it starts to corrupt our character, change the direction of our lives. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 22. And I want to say something before I read this verse. We think. And I hear churches and I hear preachers do this all the time. We 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 think God is this. Or let me rephrase that. We depict Him sometimes as this needy being who needs us to worship that he's always demanding people to worship because he needs it he needs his ego titillated he needs to feel powerful he needs to feel good about himself he loves it when people just bow down and do obeisance to him this is the way in churches sometimes God is depicted it's shameful, it's horrible it's so disrespectful to the truth about God God tells us to worship him because he's the only sufficient object of worship. He does not need your worship, my worship at all. He doesn't need it. I need it. I need it. I will never become who I'm meant to become or have the ability to do what I'm meant to do unless I start to worship an object that is worthy of worship. And he is the only object worthy of worship in the universe. So Jesus says he says, some guy asked Jesus trying to trap him. He says, teacher, which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second uh, equal, is equally important love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, you know, all the commandments hang on this. But it sounds like, oh, he's commanding us to love God. It's not that God needs our love. I need his love. If I love unworthy objects, they become objects of worship. And if they're unworthy of who I am and who I'm created to be, they will diminish me. They will deteriorate my character. They will not develop me or you. They will turn the trajectory of my life in a destructive direction not in a productive direction that's why God tells us to worship him he's the only object worthy of worship in the universe his his love for us is sacrificial and pure completely pure he wants everything for us he doesn't want anything from us but what he receives spontaneously from us he adores and he cherishes when it's not mercenary but it's from our heart that, that we see the truth about him and the truth about life All right, let me go to the second part of this message What impact will this have? I mean, so Saul can't let go of this power that he's experienced. He's, he knows that God's rejected him he's going to spend 25 years of his life he, he's going to go from a guy that received guidance from Samuel the prophet he ends his life in 1 Samuel 31 he, he's, he's dealing in witchcraft he, he's at the foot of a witch asking her to give him guidance To know what's going to happen with this battle with the Philistines this is how far down the man goes I've said to you already he he becomes murderous he becomes a schemer he becomes a liar his character just deteriorates further and further and further he's a wreck he's a disgusting human being he takes all this this power all this influence all this entrustment that God gave him and he does nothing for anyone else that's good spends it all on himself and he's miserable he's miserable in the process what impact will this have well let's look on 2nd Kings 17 15 speaking of the Israelites just before the Assyrian captivity in 722 BC was going to happen speaking to them it says they rejected his decrees and covenant that he had made with their ancestors and they despised all his what? warnings <laughs> sometimes you and I if we're honest when we hear a warning from the word of God we get ticked off we don't like it like I didn't come to church to have somebody tell me how to live my life I didn't come to church to feel guilty you know? I didn't come to church to you know, go home and have to think about things I don't want to think about <laughs> we don't like God's warning sometimes I don't like them sometimes either now, let me rephrase that I've learned to love them but there was a time that I didn't They rejected his decrees and his covenant That he had made with their ancestors And they despised all his warnings Now get this next part It's the important part They worshipped worthless idols Saul was worshipping something That was uh, underneath of him It was not worthy of him He was worshipping the power He was worshipping the feeling He was worshipping the experience They worshipped worthless idols And so they became What does it say? Worthless. Worthless themselves They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to uh, imitate them. They worshiped worthless idols and became worthless. If you talk to the average person today in your office or place of work, your neighborhood, whatever, and you talk to them about worship, they will treat worship as though it's, it's an inconsequential thing. They'll say, well, you know, worship, it's purely a matter of one's opinion or one's need or taste or desire. Uh, if you need to worship, you, you can worship something. And what you worship, it doesn't matter. That's your, it's your deal, man. You, you worship it. You want to worship a can of tomato soup? It's cool. That's your deal. It's all right. It doesn't matter what you worship. Worship is treated nonchalantly as being inconsequential and, listen, optional people will, will believe that, well, you know, you can worship or not worship. That is absolutely untrue. It is absolutely untrue. Every single human being that has ever lived on this planet and ever will live on this planet, we are active worshipers. We just don't know what we're worshiping. Saul was an active worshiper, but he was not worshiping God. Had he worshiped God, he would have changed his direction. He was worshiping that feeling that came over him. Some of you, you're still worshiping a feeling. I'm going to go out on a limb. Some of us, our first sexual experiences gave us a feeling of being loved. And because of that, we've been trapped in various degrees of sexual immorality ever since. I'm not trying to make anybody feel overtly uncomfortable I'm just speaking the truth about a subject that in our society today is so prominent Saul was worshipping the power, the prestige the, the feeling, I am somebody now and he was not going to let that go some of us, we, we've experienced some things we didn't even want to, It kind of snuck up into our life but now we can't let it go and we're stuck and we, we don't know why but that's why we're worshiping something that's below us And we're becoming worthless What we worship and we all worship It affects us It affects us every day It affects the way we think It affects the way we feel It affects the decisions we make It, it, will, def- it will affect the, the very direction that we take in life it is the m- <laughs> What we worship and we all worship It is the most influential thing in any human being's life They worship worthless idols and became worthless let's go on what we worship determines the direction of our lives and the what? development Development of our character because we become like what we worship it will change us whatever we're worshiping we'll do whatever we have to do to re-experience that experience we'll become whatever we have to become to re-experience that experience and so that's why it determines the development of our character now let me show you what could have been this is the story that that should have been could have been the story that you and I can still write Saul refused to write it but that doesn't have to be my journey or your journey listen to what it says in Zechariah Zechariah chapter 1 verse 3 and now he says this is the Lord speaking he says return to me now he didn't say this to Saul but this this is God's heart for all human beings and now he says to us return to me then I will, what does it say? Return to you. Anytime I am willing to return to God and say, God, I want to do your will instead of my will. I I am not living the way you designed me to live. I'm done doing my thing my way. I'm turning to you. Return to me and I will return to you. The Lord is is eager. He's gentle. He's kind. He's eager. He he runs toward the prodigal before the prodigal ever gets, gets his speech out. says then I will return to you and ask Lord do not be like the people of long ago the earlier prophets gave them my message and I said stop doing what is evil turn away from your sinful practices could that be more clear sometimes we think that sinful practices you know God calls something sin he just kind of makes up an arbitrary rule we say okay like I'm I'm the most powerful being in the universe I'm going to tell them, do this don't do that do this don't do that do this no when God tells you and I something is sin, it's because he, the designer of our soul, our spirit, our body, he knows this is utterly destructive in some way for us and those around us. We may not detect it right away. We usually don't find out until the consequences just kind of smack us in the face later on. But he's saying, because I love you, don't, don't do this. This isn't the way I design you. He says, you've got to turn away from your sinful practices but they would not, what does it say? Don't let that be your story. Now, some of you right now, it is your story right, right now, up to this point, it's been your story. You have a pocket or two in your life where you don't listen to God's warnings. You, you have your own way of doing things, and you, you compartmentalized your life. You say, well, th- this is my spiritual part of my life, Uh, you know and i do love i love the lord but i do practice these evils Eh, and nobody's perfect randy good grief and we don't understand that god wants what is best but can't bring to us what is best unless we trust him and do simply what he says saul did not do what he said he couldn't work with saul So he found a man after his own heart that was just teachable, humble. David, turn away from your sinful practices, but they would not listen to me. They would not pay any attention, announces the Lord. Don't be that person. Right now, now, I'm going to be very specific. There's some of us, we've got issues, and we know what the issues are. And you're trying right now not to pay attention. And God's spirit is here through his words saying, please don't do this to yourself. Don't do this to those that have to interact with you. Pay attention. You can turn. Saul could have turned. It, his story could have been so different. He could have went, when Samuel said to him, said, the Lord's rejected you as king, he could have said, oh man, I, I blew it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Samuel. I'm sorry. Will you at least go to the Lord? and tell me what he wants me to do how does he want me to transition to kingdom if he's already picked somebody else does he want me to help them you know show them the ropes i'll do whatever the lord wants me to do i'll go back to my clan in benjamin I'll, I'll be whoever he still wants me to be i just i want to get my heart and my life right with god i know that he loves me more than i love myself knows what's best wants what's best i want to turn this thing around but that's not what he did it's not what he did. He had made those experiences his idols and he was not going to give them up. He fought God for 25 years trying to murder the man who God had chosen to be the king. Don't let that be your story. Don't keep this battle ensuing with you and God because we only hurt ourselves when we do that. One more, 2 Corinthians 3. Now this is what happens when we worship what is worthy of worship which is God himself he's the only one in the universe that is completely unselfish and utterly devoted to the good of others it says all of us can see the Lord's glory we see it now in Christ we see the Lord's glory and think deeply about it so we are being changed to become more like him so that we have more and more glory and this glory comes from the Lord who is the Holy Spirit So we're to worship the Lord so that we will change to be like Him because we become like what we worship. Zechariah says they they worshiped uh, worthless things and became worthless or we can worship the Lord and become worthwhile to ourselves and to everybody else that interacts with us. I'm going to close with a couple questions. Here's the first one. Have I unknowingly turned a divine entrustment into a personal entitlement thereby making it an object of worship it's something I'm not going to let go of even when, I, when God tells me to let go of it I'm not going to let go of this I'm going to compartmentalize this part of my life I'm going to do this every time I hear his truth and I don't like it because this thing is meant too much to me it's become my God. Whatever we orient our lives around, whatever we derive our sense of significance, security, and satisfaction from, that is our God. That is, that is our idol. What gives us worth, what makes us feel like somebody. We need to get alone with God perhaps and sift through that. Have I, have I perhaps done this? Second and last question. Is today the day the Lord wants to help me let go I've got to let go of something. I've got to get over something. I've got to grieve and leave something, some loss or some failure. You see, Saul's story could have been different. If he would have just 15 years in when God called him down and said, you're you're done, man, you're done. He could have said, okay, I'm sorry, Lord. Where do I go now? I I just want to please you, man. I just want to get my life together. I just want to be the kind of man that you created me to be. There's a time when there's some failure, there's some, some fault, there's some... Opportunity, some possession that we are still clinging to to some degree but God is here today saying let it go let it go once and for all grieve it and leave it now each of us knows exactly who the Lord's been speaking to this morning and what the Lord's been saying to us he's been saying different things to each of us because each of us are different in different stages in our life but I can tell you one thing I know and you know the Lord's been here this morning speaking to us and he's been speaking to us in love and sometimes he has to get close to us and in our face to speak the truth and the truth can feel kind of like a punch in the the gut sometimes but it's love I hope we'll all leave here today not being like Saul Saul's life didn't have to end in witchcraft and suicide and it did that's how Saul's life ends didn't have to be let's pray father you know us you know how attached we get to things that are unworthy you know how confused we get about how we got attached Uh, you know how hard and frightening it is for us to let some things go to leave them and grieve them may your spirit just get deep inside our hearts and minds today and And draw us out this week to just sort through it with you right in your presence until our storyline is changed and the trajectory of our life and the development of our character all changed the way you would have it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.